Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by PointsBet. Use code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Hello everyone, my name is Corey. I will be joined by Brendan in a bit, but we have a slight, slightly different podcast for you tonight. Uh, Brendan will have a segment, he's going to take us into the pitch lab as he normally does, uh, but a, it is Brendan's birthday as we're recording this, uh, and some surprise plans have made it so that we're not actually going to talk to each other, uh, but you will hear from both of us. You'll get the same level of insight and discussion. Uh, just separately in in little chunks today. So I will take us through the four games with the Pittsburgh Pirates here. We are recording this on Sunday, September 25th. Hope you are enjoying your off day on Monday before the Cubs begin their last homestand of the year. So I will take us through these four games. We're going to talk a little bit about the rotation. Have a nice quote from Nico Horner talking about the rotation depth uh, and a lot of the stuff that Brendan and I have talked about, and, and Cody, Luke, and Ryan as well uh, on the podcast, uh, just about how important that depth is, even if some of these names are not the most exciting in the world. Then uh, Brendan will have some specific analysis for us, I believe, on Hayden Wesneski's outing uh, in this Pirate series, as well as Adbert Alzali getting back out there in another long inning, uh, long stint of relief here in this Pirate series. And then I will come back. We're going to talk a little bit about some David Ross comments regarding the first base position heading into this offseason and how that might relate to one Matt Mervis. And then, of course, we will preview this upcoming series that the Cubs have at beautiful historic Wrigley Field starting on Tuesday with the Philadelphia Phillies. So uh, the Cubs win three of four in Pittsburgh, uh, another nice series. And I think the first place, before we jump into these box scores that I you know, really wanted to start, we've talked about how the Cubs rotation in this second half ranks as one of the best in baseball. Uh, but something that really wasn't on my radar, I knew that they had been playing better. Uh, but if you look in the second half, the Cubs are 32 and 29, I believe 32 and 28 in their last 60 games. And like, obviously I'm not suggesting, right? A lot of this roster was here in the first half and that there was definitely some struggles there. And, you know, certainly it's not meant to say like, oh, this roster could win the division if it was, uh, you know, 162 games. Of course not, right? But I don't think that them playing above 500 baseball for uh, a 60-game sample is nothing at the same time, right? I think it does speak to a lot of what we've talked about on here and a lot of what Cody, Luke, and Ryan have talked about as well, and that is that there is a lot of talent on this team. There's a lot of interesting and useful pieces on this team that I think can contribute to a competitive team in the NL Central next year. 
obviously they need to go out and add star power, be that uh, on the offensive side as well as the top of the rotation. They're certainly going to have to add some stability in the bullpen. We've certainly seen some guys step up in the bullpen, but after trading their big four in the bullpen at the deadline, uh, you you definitely feel like there's going to need to be some adjustments there. But all across the team, I think you look around and it's easy to say, hey, there's a lot of talent here. And I know that there's differing opinions on how close the Cubs are to being competitive or how close the next great Cubs team is. But I think it's not nothing that this that this group has been able to play above 500 baseball for o- over 60 games now. I think it's indicative of the talent that they have. And is it talent right now that can win a World Series? No. But we're building toward that. And I think when we look back at this year, whether we enjoyed this process or not, whether we uh, think that the Cubs should ever be tanking or punting certain years and not committing big payroll and stuff like that, which we don't, uh, but they did. And I think we're going to look back and and there was a lot of really productive time spent in 2022. And I think you're going to really see that in 2023 when a lot of the guys that we've been talking about are contributing to hopefully a team that is making the playoffs and competing at the top of the NL Central um, especially when you look at how the NL Central has gone this year. So I, again, I, I knew that they had been playing better, but when I saw it, uh, 32 and 29 in this second half here, I, I that that in particular was not on my radar. I was a little surprised at that, pleasantly surprised, but I, I do think it makes sense. You see what they've done in the rotation. Um, you see what a lot of these guys on offense have been able to contribute, um, but it's it's nice to see, and I think it bodes well as we head into this offseason. We've talked a lot about how much smoke there is about are they going to sign, spend big money? Are they going to sign a, a shortstop? You know, all these guys. I think you make the moves that we've been hearing about, and I think this team is rather interesting. Uh, so with that said, let's run through these box scores real quick. Uh, four games, of course, starting on Thursday, the Cubs winning three to two on Thursday. And this was on the, uh, shoulders of another really good start from Hayden Wisniewski. If you watch the, uh, post-game show, I believe on Thursday, Brendan did join Luke, Cody, and Ryan, who were in studio to talk about Hayden Wisniewski and some of the uh, youth future as as far as pitching goes. So if you want to hear some more comments about Hayden Wisniewski's outing in particular, check out the CHGO Cubs postgame show from Thursday evening uh, for more of that. But six and a third, five hits, two runs, two walks, and six strikeouts. He does give up a home run, uh, and he does this on 87 pitches. Of course, if you were watching the game, you know this, uh, but he did throw an immaculate inning, uh, which is uh, he strikes out the side, nine pitches, that's it. Sit down, see ya. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, Brendan will have more in-depth commentary on what Wisniewski was doing, uh, but in particular for me, just on a a, a more surface-level basis, I, you know, this is this continues to just be wildly impressive and just absolutely what you want to see from a young player. And I continue to be really, really impressed with Hayden's mound presence, right? And, you know, he's going to have outings that don't go well. You know, uh, he's not going to be able to strut off the mound in certain outings. These things will happen. But I, 
I just love the attitude that he has. He was called up and makes his MLB debut. He starts in relief and now is getting some starting opportunities. And he's been up to the task. And he just has that attitude about him that he is ready for this moment. He wants the ball. If you, you know, you look at the stuff that's said about him, uh, Ryan and Brendan wrote an article for allchgo.com, which you can read if you sign up and become a member, which I would certainly recommend that you do. Uh, And, you know, you hear from Daniel Moskos, the Cubs director of pitch design, and Tommy Hadovy and Hayden himself. And, you know, this guy wants it, right? He gets it. He understands the work that needs to go in to continue growing now at the MLB level, to continue making those pitches better, to continue developing his repertoire. He gets it, right? And you, I think that really comes across when you hear from him and Moscos and, and everybody else in the organization that he's not here to coast on his abilities or thinking he's already a, a finished product and, and ready to go win a Cy Young. He's ready to put in that work, and he's excited, I think, to do it. And, you know, again, like, this is the Pirates, you know, they're not the best team. So I think at some point, you'd like to see him face a real test, a real tough offense, uh, things like that. But he just continues to look really good. And Brendan breaks it down a lot. And, and you know, you've heard about it a lot. But the the pitch mix, the, the repertoire and the ability of Hayden to have such a, a variety of pitches that he's able to use it bodes really well. And for the results to be this good at the beginning, you know, uh, he might, if he continues to start, I'm not sure exactly what, you know, the Cubs plan is for this last uh, week plus of the season. But whatever opportunities he gets, you're going to have all this this data and experience and be able to go into this offseason and then spring training and continue making those adjustments. And I, I'm really, really excited to see the pitcher that Hayden is able to continue to develop into because the beginning of his big league career has gone, I, I mean, about as well as it could go for somebody, you know, ha- making their first few outings and their first few starts. This is really exciting stuff, and, and I'm sure Brendan will break it down a little further. The Cubs getting their three runs in this one on a Christopher Morell double that brought in two, and then Michael Hermosillo with an RBI single in the seventh to bring in what would eventually be the game-winning run. Notables behind Hayden, Brandon Hughes, a third of an inning. Uh, he does walk two. Hughes dealing with, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, I think, a foot thing. Hopefully he's fine. Uh, doesn't seem to be that big a deal, but uh, something he may have to work through here to finish off the season. And two and a third scoreless innings from Mark Leiter Jr. He picks up his third save of the year. He does walk two, but he also strikes out four. On Friday, it was a 6-5 to five win. This was the Esteban Heroes game. Javier Assad starts this one, four innings, four runs, just three of them earned, three walks, two strikeouts. So not the best stretch for Assad, but, you know, these things happen. Uh, two scoreless from Michael Rucker behind him. Eric Yeoman also picking up the save in this one, a scoreless inning of work. He does walk two, strikes out one, but he does pick up the save. The Cubs runs in this one coming on Patrick Wisdom's 24th home run of the year. He was not done hitting the long ball on the weekend. In the sixth, uh, the Cubs entered the inning trailing four to two. They left the inning leading five to four, that coming on a Fran Mill Reyes bases loaded walk. Zach McKinstry also walks with the bases loaded, and then Esteban Quiroz with an RBI single 
That made it 5-4. to four. The Pirates would tie it in the 7th, but it was Esteban Quiroz in the 8th with an RBI single to make it 6-5, to five, and that would be all she wrote on Friday. Saturday, the Cubs are blanked six to nothing. The, uh, a clunker, uh, no, not a clunker, but not a, not his best start for Wade Miley. Clunker is a little aggressive. Four innings, three hits, three runs, just one of them earned one walk and three strikeouts, 65 pitches. My instinct was to say clunker there just because it was only four innings and 65 pitches. But when two of the runs are unearned, that's why I corrected myself. Doesn't feel fair. Edward Alzali comes in relief of Wade Miley, three innings, three hits, three runs, no walks, and three strikeouts. He does give up a home run, so curious to see what Brendan says there, and Rowan Wick follows with a scoreless inning, allowing a hit, a walk, and two strikeouts. So just my two cents on Alzali. Obviously, you know, you don't that's not what you wanted to see. You know, he's got a six and a half ERA on the season now. Uh, but I think, you know, what they're doing here is, you know, pushing him a little bit, right? You want him going out there and pitching multiple innings. And with how late he was able to return, you know, you want to see as much as you can, right? So I think at this point, it's just, you're, you're glad that you got him healthy and you're glad that you're going to have several outings, hopefully here toward the end of the season, where you're able to at least get some data on his pitches, see how he's feeling, see how his body is holding up after these outings. And, you know, you're going to have to reevaluate things across the offseason and coming into spring training. But I think it's just good that they're able to get him out here, push him through multiple innings, and at least just keep building up this experience, building up his arm, and, you know, just seeing where all of his pitches are at. Then in the finale on Sunday, it was an 8-3 to win for the Cubs behind, you guys, Adrian Sampson. He did it again. Another quality start. Six innings, four hits, one run, no walks, and three strikeouts. A 3.23 ERA on the season for Adrian Sampson. He picks up his third win of the year. Keegan Thompson goes two scoreless innings, no hits, one walk, and three strikeouts following him. Uh, and then Brandon Hughes does get back out there on Sunday, so that's good to see. He might be, you know, dealing with a little bit of lingering stuff with the foot, but I think he's, you know, hopefully is no worse for wear. Picks up his seventh save of the year, a third of an inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, and no strikeouts. 3.15 ERA on the season for Brandon Hughes. Uh, the Cubs getting their eight runs on Sunday via Patrick Wisdom's 25th home run of the season, his second season in a row, hitting 25. Ian Happ with an RBI single, Nelson Velasquez reaching on a fielding error, and Esteban Quiroz singling to bring home number seven, and then a wild pitch brought home Zach McKinstry in the top of the eighth. That is the Cubs' eighth run. Pirates would get two in the bottom of the ninth, but that is not enough. So it is a series win, three to one for the Cubs over the Pirates. As I noted, they're continuing to play pretty good baseball, and that is nice to see. So on Adrian Sampson specifically, He has a 3.18 ERA in 62 and a third innings pitch in the second half. Uh, and in the second half, we noted a few episodes ago that the Cubs trailed just the Astros and the Dodgers for starter ERA. So just starters, not team ERA. Uh, and it is that ERA, uh, Coming into Samson's start was 3.18. It lowers to 3.15 after another quality start from Adrian Samson. And 
We, we've talked a lot about the depth, so I'm not going to belabor that point on my own, but I am going to read uh, something from Nico Horner that I think speaks specifically to uh, what we have been talking about as it relates to the uh, rotation and the depth specifically in the rotation, uh, which we've highlighted, you know, noting like Adrian Sampson's not the most exciting guy. Javier Assad, who struggled a little bit recently, like maybe not the most exciting guy. Um, you know, be it Drew Smiley if they decide to bring him back, et cetera, et cetera. But the depth is really, really important. And I think Nico kind of speaks to that. Uh, so I'm reading this quote from Jordan Bastian of MLB.com. And he said, Nico says, quote, seeing some of the pitching we've had this year from the minor league side is really exciting and promising. I think if you look around the league, it's a formula that teams are winning consistently often have, like a stable of arms that they can just call on, whether it's in the bullpen or spot starts. We saw this year the importance of starting rotation depth throughout the league, and we had a lot of starters, but unfortunately had a lot of injuries too. So if the minor league system can help kind of instead of the big dips during the season, kind of hold that within the reins, then I think you've got a lot of value there. And if you give guys a little taste before they're fully ready, I think that'd be a huge deal. I'm not saying that Nico Horner listens to our podcast, but this really sounds a lot like (laughs) discussions that uh, we have had on the CHGO Cubs podcast here, just about how important it is that these guys are getting these opportunities, that they are contributing to a team that has the third lowest starting rotation ERA in baseball since, you know, in the second half. Um, and how important it is, you know, that guys like Wesneski get a little bit of an opportunity here, you know, um, and even, you know, being able to bring back Keegan Thompson here out of the bullpen at the end of the season or get Alzali some innings, every little thing can help contribute to this stuff. And I think it's really good to see that Nico is able to articulate this, I think, in a similar manner that we have talked about things. I think it's it's really... Uh, interesting to hear Nico say that, that he also notices this. Uh, And again, he makes the the point that we've made a lot where you're going to need guys to step up, right? The Cubs have needed it a ton this year with the way that guys have been hurt and guys have done that and the numbers are good. So it's, it's, it's good to have those guys, especially if you're able to make additions to this rotation in the off season that push all of these guys down one spot in a potential rotation. Uh, Adrian Sampson after another quality start on Sunday also offered up this quote that, again, I think contributes to the same discussion. He said, quote, on great teams, you have five starters, but you need 10. You need guys that come in and are competitive and keep the team in games, stuff like that, and just kind of take the weight off of one another. It's a huge thing. Again, I, I believe you've heard that before. Uh, Tommy Hadovy went on to say, I know we've done some really good things the second half of the year, but we struggled early in the year when we didn't have the consistency and the depth that we quite wanted. When you have good, consistent starting pitching in this league, you can do a lot of things. So I'd love that Samson quote, right? From Samson, from Nico, it really is a lot of what we talked about, which I don't say to like Pat 
you know, ourselves on the back for bringing up these points. I think they're fairly obvious points. Uh, I bring them up because I I really believe them when we're saying them. And, you know, to some people, it's going to be, oh, I, you know, okay, like, are you winning the World Series with Adrian Sampson? Are you winning the World Series with Javier Assad, et cetera, right? And it's like, that's not the point. The point is, even if the Cubs go out and add an ace, or they add two frontline starters, and they go into next year, and Marcus Stroman is the three in this rotation, right? However they decide to address it, you're going to need that depth. Guys get hurt. Guys need to get skipped in a rotation. You know, you see it sometimes too. Guys have babies and and go on the paternity list and miss time. There's all sorts of reasons that you need these starters. Double headers, rainouts, schedule changes, this, that, and the other. There's so many reasons that you need this depth, and I think it is really important that I think we've seen that depth from the Cubs in this second half. Is this rotation as is? good enough to compete in the division or win a World Series? Probably not. Maybe. You could risk it, right? And maybe you give Hayden Wisniewski 30 starts next year, and he's incredible, right? He he has the yeah, you know, rookie of the year, whatever, right? Maybe it works out. Justin Steele is great. Keegan Thompson great. But there's risk. If you go out and you add a frontline starter to this group, I think you would feel really, really comfortable with the group that you're looking at. So that is the series recap. Uh, I am going to take a quick break here to say thank you to our wonderful sponsors here at CHGO. And then we are going to go into the pitch lab with Dr. Brendan Miller to get some in-depth thoughts on some of the pitching that we saw this weekend. Our first sponsor is, of course, PointsBet. This football season, PointsBet is bringing you a better way to bet live on games, which means before this ad is over, you can place a live same-game parlay, bet on the next drive to be a touchdown, and cash out on your live second-half overbet. With PointsBet, you have access to more live football markets than ever before. Build the perfect live same-game parlay by combining your favorite bets anytime during the game, including spreads, totals, player props, and more. Choose the outcome of the next drive and next points with PointsBet Lightning Bets. So whether you are on the move or on the couch, do it live on PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app today and sign up with code CHGO to get your first two bets risk-free up to $2,000. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants to help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I heard Luke, of course, of Stucky Nation, and Brendan talking about it so often, and I tried it in the CHGO offices, and I loved it. I get pretty lazy about taking my vitamins and supplements, and I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, and of course, after listening to Luke and Brendan, to see what the hype was about. And now I have been on it for the last month, and I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has a kind of mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help your day start right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I like to take it in the morning, and I love the simplicity of AG1. I take it in the morning. It's easy, and I know that I am getting all of the vitamins, 
my body needs to have more energy and a better digestion through the day. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It costs less than $3 a day, and you know you are investing in your health, and it's cheaper than the cold brew habit that I have been trying to kick. And it has over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it is recommended by professional athletes and non-professional athletes like Brendan Miller. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash chgo cubs. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash chgo cubs to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so with that said, we are going to now head into the pitch lab with Dr. Brendan Miller. Brendan, I cede the floor to you. Okay, so Hayden Wisniewski's start against the Pirates could be a template for what you see against a heavy lefty lineup. And it reminds me so much of what Daniel Moscow said to Ryan Herrera when they two talked about Wisniewski and his repertoire, and specifically against uh, lefties, and specifically from what Hayden Wisniewski said about his changeup. So... Moscow said that when he was with the Yankees working with Wisniewski, they they focused on ways to handle left-handed batters. And this is what Daniel Moscow said to Ryan, quote, we, didn't, we did not neglect the fact that he was going to have to focus on getting lefties out. As a predominantly lefty sinker slider guy back then, you worry about the left-handed platoon splits, end quote. And so... That was an area of focus because we saw with Alzali last season the issues with having a predominantly sinker slider guy that that Moscow alluded to just with Wisniewski. And with Alzali, he was able to get right-handed batters out with high efficiency, but all but one of his home runs given up last season were to lefties, Alzali. So he was a heavy sinker slider guy. So the intent for Alzali over time was going to be, okay, let's mitigate the left-handed platoon splits. That was also a focus for Wisniewski, but this is before he was acquired by the Cubs. And then Moskos continued to go on to say, quote, you see performance numbers dictate a platoon split disparity. The sinker does not play as well to opposite-handed hitters as it does to the, uh, to the same side. You see different movement profiles play better to opposite-sided hitters versus same-sided hitters. And so you try to prioritize what your best weapons are to put you in the best position to succeed, end quote. So Wisniewski has five weapons. And while the slider and the sinker might be his most useful weapon against the majority of lineups that he faces, which are going to be dominated by right-handed lineups, Against the Pirates, they're a heavy left-handed team. So what did Wesneski do? Well, 
Whereas in the first few outings, he showcased that slider as his dominant pitch. He threw that pitch more than his fastball, his forcing, more than his sinker, more than his changeup, his cutter. That was a pitch he used. But against the Pirates, he led with the forcing. So in 87 pitches against Pittsburgh, he threw 27 forcings. That's good for 31% of his pitches. He did use 22 sliders, 25% of his total, his total pitch mix. And then he used 19 cutters. And so that cutter was a pitch that was even an alzalized radar by Tommy Hadevi and Daniel Moscow. So with Wisniewski, he already has that pitch. So the four seam, 27 times, the cutter, 19 times. The key focus here is the changeup. He threw the changeup 15 times against Pittsburgh. So again, just to emphasize here, in his first three outings, he was slider, 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 heavy slider, sprinkling a few changeups. This start, very different because he was able to use his weapons at hand to face left-handed lineups. And he had success doing it. So this is what gives me motivation and encouragement that Wisniewski can be a guy in the rotation because he has five weapons. It's a good contrast, too. When you look at like Keegan Thompson, you look at Justin Steele. And Steele has had so much progress this year. And a lot of his progress has been driven by having two unique pitch types for his four-seam fastball. And then having that slider to wipe out and finish batters. So that's three pitch types, but really two in the form of a four seam and a slider. And that's great if you have the, the command to go with it. And with Steele, he's had recently within the last two months improvements in his stuff, improvements in his command, and that's led to success. But in the back of my mind, I'm always wondering, all right, like can he sustain this and against diverse lineups? Are there going to be some lineups where it might be to Steele's disadvantage when he goes out and pitches? With Wisniewski, if he truly has command and feel for five pitch types, the four seam, the slider, the cutter, the changeup, the sinker, well, Moscow said having those weapons, it dictates what you throw to certain lineups. You don't have to pigeonhole yourself against certain lineups. And this is a great example of why Wisniewski might be like the top prospect in this Cubs pitching system, even beyond like Keegan Thompson and perhaps in the long run, even Steele. The difference between Steele and Wisniewski is that Steele's done it. He's done it for over 100 innings. He's been able to go through different adjustment phases and he's been able to command his pitches with high efficiency recently. So that's the differentiating marker between the two. But if you go on purely stuff, you you exclude the consistency and just look at what each guy brings. There's no pitcher in this Cubs rotation other than Strowman that has the stuff that Wisniewski has. And it's going to be determined and to be seen what he can actually make the most of his pitches and the command and all that. But if you just go by like stuff plus, you go by like this stuff grading by Cameron Grove on the 80 scale. Slider rates as in 70 out of 80. Sinker, 55 out of 80. Cutter, 60 out of 80. Forcing fastball, not the best. It rates below league average from stuff plus. But if he dominates and goes through lineups, leading with sliders, 
leading with cutters, as he did against the Pirates with the four seam and the cutter. Then you can finish with hard stuff in the form of your four seam, and certain pitchers do do this. Charlie Morton does this, for example, with a high degree of success, and if you can command that pitch well, especially with the four seam, when he throws that four seam higher in the zone, his expected whiff rate, his expected run value is so much better. So if he can command that pitch, despite the four seam maybe not rating that well on stuff bus alone, then this diverse repertoire could lead to success. But again, going back to his stuff alone, it's the best in the rotation. San Stroman, it's better than Steele. It's better than Keegan Thompson. It's just a matter of having consistency, a matter of having command with those pitch drives and the experience to go through it. But my my takeaway from that Pirate start is this is a template. This is what he could end up doing against a left-handed dominant team, and it should give a lot of fans encouragement. But he's not a finished product, right? Like you want to see consistency with the cutter. You want to see consistency with the changeup. And if he is that sinker slider guy, then there is a possibility where there are platoon splits, there are home run problems, and it might be a little bit of a growing pain to get beyond that. But I don't know. Like the like when I watch him pitch, I I sense this rapid ability to adjust. And you you see him in the dugout talking to Hadavi or talking to the catcher, and you you hear reports about his work ethic. I mean, that's one of his like strong suits. And I think if you're going to be really optimistic, I think he has the ability to adjust pretty fast. And I think the increased usage in his changeup and his four seam against the Pirates, and just specifically his increased usage of his slider since coming over from the Cubs, you need a lot of confidence to use that, to, to go away from maybe your comfort zone coming up through the system and just dramatically change your repertoire. And to me, that signals, like, I don't know, it, it signals this unique attitude that a lot of pitchers who are really good and really dominant, they tend to have this like fearless attitude. And I, I describe that as like, like a psycho attitude, but you also... You, you kind of see those psycho traits. You see maybe like a baby Scherzer mindset out there where he's striking guys out, he's strutting off the mound, he's throwing a slider once every three pitches, he's throwing cutters more, he's throwing change-ups that just sink down in a way. I don't know. I just, I, I, I sense that he kind of has this unique feature about him and I'm excited to see more about him. But I just go back and I always remind myself he's not a finished product. Pitchers are volatile and he fits the mold of perhaps that volatile pitcher, but with one of a really high ceiling. Okay. So on that tone of like lefty platoon splits and the possibility of Navi success against lefties, uh, let's go back to Alzali. So Alzali, I I am I'm surprised to see what he's doing since coming back up from his injury. Uh, first off, I'm surprised he's even pitching this year, but I'm surprised what he's actually doing to get batters out. His first outing he debuted, he was throwing a slider that was classified as a curveball. This unique breaking pitch, while it might not be a curveball in the traditional classification sense. Uh, it's a different breaking pitch. And Alzali did say this after that outing. So when Corey and I talked about Alzali, and when I was like tweeting about this, hey, this is a curveball, uh, 
you know, he may describe it as a slider variation, but it is a unique, different breaker. That's that's exactly what Alex Light ended up saying. So he has two unique slider variations. One slider is thrown around 86 to 87 miles per hour. His second slider is 82 to 84 miles per hour. One of his sliders has more vertical break. A different slider that he throws most of the time has less vertical break, but more sweeping action. I am surprised to see that. And I'm surprised because I thought when we first saw that that pitch was being classified as a curveball. I, I thought that pitch was truly going to be a curveball because Alzali said he was working on that pitch during March, during February, and he went to the reporters prior to his injury in spring training and was talking about, hey, my curveball is looking good. I'm feeling confident about my curveball. I missed that when it happened. I was reminded of that because when Daniel Moscow was talking to Ryan Herrera, Moscow said, in the future, a curveball was in Azalai's mind. It was in his basket. And that was going to be an objective for the pitching infrastructure to promote Azalai to use that curveball more. So when I saw that curveball being classified in his first outing, I thought that may have been it. But it's, it's, it's not it. So now I'm thinking, okay, well, you have two slider variations. What does this curveball look like if he's going to actually use it? And if it is a unique curveball, then you have a slider, you have slider 2.0, you have a curveball, and you also have maybe like a baby slider, maybe this cutter. And he threw this cutter 10 times in his most recent outing in 41 pitches. So he threw that pitch once every four times. Reminds me of what Keegan Thompson's repertoire looks like. So Keegan has that four seam, he has that cutter, those were his two primary pitches out of the bullpen. That cutter usage and location was phenomenal throughout the majority of the of his season. And then he has that curveball, right? And then in between that curveball and cutter, about two months ago, he developed that slider. So he has a cutter, a slider, a curveball. He has three unique breaking pitches. When Ryan talked to Kyle Hendricks about breaking pitches and perhaps the possibility of Kyle developing a slider, Kyle actually commended Keegan for having three breaking pitches that go the same direction, but have unique breaking vertical break on those pitches. For Alzelite, okay, let's say he has a slider. Let's say he has a cutter. Let's say he has a cutter 2.0. Then a curveball. Those are four breaking pitches. Now, the information of whether that whether or not that's going to actually happen, we'll have to figure out. But the fact that he has actually said to the media that that second slider that was being classified as a curveball is not a curveball, then with this cutter, with his original slider, with this new slider he was talking about, and the idea and the objective by Moscow to say a curveball is in his future that's four breaking pitches. Like that that is weird to me. I can't remember any Cubs pitcher having four breaking pitches that go the same direction. I cannot remember that. So I'm thinking I, I want to see Alzelay healthy. And in my mind, I thought that he was not going to even 
have significant innings this season. And, you know, September may not qualify significant innings, but he's pitching and he's getting 40 plus pitches. He's going multiple innings. This is exceeding my expectations given where we were in July. But now I'm thinking, all right, well, you're throwing unique pitches here. Like, this, this is a little bit faster than I expected for him to develop. So in spring training next season, or maybe even as the season ends, I'm looking for that curveball. I'm looking for that other fourth breaking pitch because I want to see what is going on here. Does he actually have the ability to throw four breaking pitches? And if he does, then you can you can classify a four seam, a cutter, two sliders, a, <laughs> a curveball, a changeup, and a sinker. That's seven pitch types. That's what like you Darvish throws. You Darvish throws like eleven pitch types, but you Darvish has those unique breaking pitches that go the same direction. Those cutters, sliders, curveballs. You know, you, you've seen it. Like I don't know. I, I I've never thought that Alzlac could be that guy, and a lot has to go right for him to be that. But I'm just curious about that process. I'm curious to see why like Moscas would say he has a curveball and why we're seeing two unique sliders in addition to a cutter this soon from his injury. He was working on that cutter last season in response to the lefty damage, but ultimately when he went down from injury, then he got inserted back in the rotation, his pitch mix changed, and we never saw that, especially this season when he got injured again in March. So we're seeing that almost instantly coming back from the injured list. This is fascinating to me. It, the, the, the fascination is not to be confused with expectations that he's going to be a lockdown guy. That's not the case. When I say fascinated, I just mean like I'm curious about this process. Um, and a lot has to go right to actually rely on Ozzy to be like you know a multi-inning significant reliever next year. I still think the sample is so small. I do think the injury concerns loom large that you may want to have a lot of discipline in your free agents decisions and strategy and trying to lock down the pitching rotation and the bullpen and perhaps the Cubs and Jay go out and think all right well Auslice had these injuries and you want to staple down this middle of your bullpen whatever Auslice produces is going to be a luxury uh, maybe that's the route they end up taking I'm not, I'm not sure yet how I feel about that but if Alzelite is healthy, okay, I'm fascinated by his potential, even though it's gone through these iterations and this long four or five year process to get to this point. It is really interesting that he may have four unique breaking pitches to the same side. So I will be looking for that as the season continues. And another break from our sponsor at Pins and Aces. Pins and Aces is the official golf apparel partner of CHGO. We love our Pins and Aces gear and get tons of compliments on and off the course. They are a family-owned golf and apparel business. They make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and even our favorite beer sleeve, an innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag and keeps drinks cold the entire round. Check out pinsandaces.com and use code CHGO to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com. 
All right, so that is your analysis from Dr. Brendan Miller. Hopefully that satisfies your pitching analysis needs for the weekend. You're back with me now, and what I would like to touch on briefly before we head and preview this upcoming series is David Ross's comments on the first base position. So over the weekend, David Ross said he sees, quote, a big hole at first base, given the production there this season. He was asked uh, by reporters in Pittsburgh if he could see Matt Mervis playing a part in that conversation for 2023. David Ross said, quote, there's no doubt he'll have a great opportunity in front of him moving forward, unless something transpires in the offseason that would negate that. Um, you can let your mind run rampant with what David Ross might have meant by that. I, th- If I'm remembering correctly, I think a certain former Cubs first baseman would have to uh, opt out or, you know, decline an option in New York if that might have been like me, where, you're, where your mind first went when he says something might transpire uh, over the offseason, you know. We'll cross that bridge if he opts out. I, <laughs> I, I can't get myself worked up about that. But what stood out to me about Ross's quote is pretty much obvious. Him saying that there is a big hole there going into this offseason given the production. And I don't think that's any surprise, right? Frank Schwindel was obviously a disappointment coming off of the second half that he had that last year. Alfonso Rivas, you know, still sitting in the mid-ish 600s in terms of OPS. He's got a good glove over there, but just have not seen enough on the offensive side to, I think, make that work going forward. We've obviously seen Patrick Wisdom play a little bit there, and we've seen what Matt Mervis has done at, you know, all levels of the minor leagues, uh, but certainly raising an eyebrow in terms of his performance at AAA, just, uh, you know, Evan Altman, uh, who is obviously uh, a friend of Brendan and I's uh, going a ways back, uh, he's working with Obvious Shirts, uh, of course, uh, a friend of the CHGO podcast as well. Joe at Obvious Shirts does wonderful stuff. They have a Mash Mervis shirt, and they have it for good reason. The dude absolutely mashes, um, and he has done so all season to a really impressive degree. And I think it's, you know, David Ross was asked about a particular player. So, of course, he's going to say something like that when it comes to Mervis in particular. But I do think it's it's rather intriguing. Uh, his defense is not great at first base, uh, but you can get away with that, and plenty of teams get away with that. And I think, you know, it's interesting to think about if the Cubs to me, spend a lot of money on other positions, be it the many shortstops and, you know, whether they're playing shortstop or second base or third base, whatever. We'll deal with that when they get there. But that's the pool they've been rumored to be talking about. If they add someone there and, you know, maybe somebody in the outfield um, to go along with Ian Happ and say a Suzuki, obviously you have to figure out what you want to do with Christopher Morell. Uh, but we've heard Ross say that Christopher Morell probably going to be a, a kind of super utility guy, and I think we've seen, especially recently, 
his defense is better uh, up the middle infield. Um, so, you know, maybe you sign one of those guys to play third, Nico plays short, Christopher Morel's at second a lot, something like that. Uh, I think if you're making those upgrades across the rest of the team, you can afford to take the risk uh, in in having a rookie play first base or giving a significant opportunity to someone like Matt Mervis, right? I think if you don't make those upgrades, you know, obviously it's a huge risk to see if he's able to come up to the major leagues because he's not there. You know, we've, we, we talked about this for a while, wondering if they would do it, but with, uh, you know, uh, just uh, a handful of games left in the 2022 season, they're not going to call Matt Mervis up. They're not going to put him on the 40 man. So we're not going to see him. So you'd be taking quite a risk in, in you know, having a, a first baseman or at least a large portion of your time at first base devoted to a guy who's never played Major League Baseball before. Uh, that being said, if you do upgrade those other areas, I think you can justify it. And of course, if Mervis does continue to hit like this, well, great. Like, you know, then you you didn't go out and make a significant move at first base and you provided that on your own. And he's able to be a, a, a point of slugging in that lineup. And to that point, um, we have we at the end of the last core right we had the main issue being that the cubs wanted to make more contact they wanted a team that made more contact they wanted to stop having so many rallies that ended because they swung and missed uh being so reliant on the home run etc cetera, etc cetera. they've added more contact you know guys like nico saya has has good contact numbers uh he's you know obviously made a lot of adjustments but generally will have good contact numbers uh, we'll see what they decide to do with Nick Madrigal going forward, uh, given the season that he's had and the injuries, but he also is someone who makes a ton of contact. Um, but Jed Hoyer also adding some of the quotes uh, to the media and saying, you need a balance. Having an entire team of guys that don't slug a lot and put the ball in play is not the way to go. And having a team of high strikeout power guys is hard. You ultimately want to blend in that way. You have to, you have sort of multiple ways to beat teams, Jed continued. And I do think we battled some really good pitchers well this year because we put the ball in play. We don't strike out a ton, but I do think the lack of explosiveness is something we have to address. So obviously, if Mervis is able to continue to hit the way that he did uh, across the minors, that would add some of that explosiveness, some of those free agents that are available. Some of them are, are also going to contribute on the, on the contact variety. Uh, some of them would also contribute to that explosiveness, adding slug. So I think there's a, a pretty clear path here if the Cubs want to take it to adding exactly what Jed is talking about. You've identified some of those high contact guys. You have the ability to make moves in the offseason with the current free agent pool. And you've got some guys in your system that definitely could provide slug if you want slug. You know, you look at even someone like Alexander Canario, who also is mashing alongside Matt Mervis and just dropping home runs every 30 seconds. Um, you know, what their plan is for him, how quickly they want to elevate him, you know, who knows, right? But you do have some internal options that are pretty close, you know, to the majors, knocking on the door, certainly at least raising attention of an opportunity that would provide you with exactly what you're looking for, slug, right? Uh, so how exactly they want to go about that, we will see. The other thing that I think 
presents an interesting opportunity and is someone else that I wanted to talk about in this situation is Patrick Wisdom. So Patrick Wisdom is a guy that we have seen play a lot of different positions. He was at third on Sunday. We saw him in the outfield, I think, on Saturday. He was playing right field. Um, We've seen him at first base a little bit uh, at, at times this season, especially when Frank was struggling or hurt and things like that what the Cubs decide to do with a lot of these role guys, because if you do go out and make significant additions, you can't keep all these role players, right? Eventually, you're going to have to make some of these decisions. But Patrick Wisdom's at a 107 WRC plus now. He's never going to be an average hitter, right? He's hitting 210. Uh, But overall, he's been 7% better than league average if you're looking at WRC plus in terms of his overall offensive production. Um, And we know 25 home runs, two straight years, uh, and both of those years, right, he's played in 127 games so far in 2022. He played in 106 last year. So we also know that he's able to translate his power to game power in not 160 games, right? Like he doesn't have to play every day to hit a pretty significant amount of home runs, to add some thump to a lineup. So do the Cubs potentially roll, and I think it was our guy Cody Del Mendo who tweeted this. I don't remember if it was from Cody's account or the CHGO Cubs account on Twitter, but, you know, what he asked the fan base, you know, what do you guys think of a Patrick Wisdom, Matt Mervis platoon at first base? And, you know, Patrick Wisdom's defense has been weird at third base. We talked about that, you know, him rating negatively, looking at some of the the metrics uh, overall this year. And, you know, I don't think he has a a large enough sample or has enough experience at first base for us to really make a a big claim on that. Uh, But I think having a guy like Wisdom and you know, okay, he's going to be able to hit some home runs. Um, He had a 117 WRC plus last year, like I said, 107 this year. So, you know, you're not sure he's going to be able to continue being a league average hitter, but in the, you know, 130, or excuse me, 230 plus games that he's played for the Cubs, he's been a, a, a comfortably above league average hitter. Not crazily, but above. So, I'm, if they're going to spend money in other areas, if they do go and get one of those big time shortstops, wherever they end up playing, if they do maybe add some depth to the outfield, if they do go and add a a frontline starter to this rotation and spend some money to upgrade the bullpen a little bit around the guys like Brandon Hughes and and other guys we've seen that we know are going to be successful in there. Like, I think I would be intrigued by that. The defense would be questionable, right? Uh, at the same time, you know, you do have the ability to keep Alfonso Rivas in the organization. And if you want him on the bench and you want a sure glove to scoop up, you know, hey, Stroman's pitching, he's going to go out and get a ton of ground balls uh, as he normally does. We're going to let Rivas out there. Or if Wisdom is able to show you that he can play a quality first base, you know, you put him out there on days where you're expecting a lot of contact or weak contact, things like that. I'm not... I'm not totally opposed to that, right? There's, of course, an inherent risk, right? You'd be relying on a guy who's never played at the major league level to translate all of the success that he's had in his hitting to the major league level in Matt Burvis, and a guy who's not a first baseman in Patrick Wisdom to play either, you know, back up to Mervis or splitting time with Mervis, whatever you wanted to do, right? But I think you, ho- you would, in that scenario, you would hope that Mervis 
just continues to hit and you just worry about anything else later or at the very least you feel comfortable like hey we upgraded a lot of these other areas first base is in our primary position right now and you know we know that if wisdom can put up a 110 wrc plus hit 20 something home runs like to go along with the rest of this offense that we have and the pitching that we've developed etc yeah i think it could work right um you know ask me again in three months if Anthony Rizzo, as I said, I said I wasn't going to get into this, but I can't help myself, right? You guys know me better than this. Uh, if Anthony Rizzo opts out of his contract with New York, ask me again, you know, if I would, you know, prefer option A or option B, right? There's decisions. But, you know, again, it also is one of those, first base is one of those positions where it's it's not always, you see a lot of teams just kind of stick guys there because they can hit and they, you know, figure out the defense later. And it's not always one of those positions where there's huge quality upgrades available either via trade or uh, free agency, you know? So it may be something where the Cubs have to figure something out internally. And I think at the very least, uh, Mervis has earned a shot to be a part of this conversation. How much you're willing to commit and how comfortable you are committing a ton to him going into this uh, next season, you know, I think that's fair right? I, I, I don't think it's unfair to uh, suggest that or wonder that, but he's earned the shot. And I think the upside and the sort of potential that that works out is a rather intriguing one. But I'm at least toying with the idea of, of him and wisdom. If you're going to allocate those resources elsewhere, I think it could work. I think it's interesting, uh, but really this whole conversation started because I think it's rather interesting that David Ross, I mean, he's not wrong, right? Duh, first base has been a bad position for them. But it's just interesting with all of the stuff we've heard, the different angles we've heard of, they're going to spend money, this rumor, this person says this, this person says this, you're hearing everywhere, the Cubs are going to spend, they're definitely signing one of these shortstops, Ken Rosenthal says, right? You hear all this stuff, you know, going into an off season, you know, when your manager says you have a big hole at first base, well, I you know, that would mean it would be pretty surprising to me if we show up in spring training next year and Alfonso Rivas is your first baseman, right? Would be a weird thing for David Ross to say if, you know, he kind of didn't have an inkling that that was something they were going to need to adjust and that the plan was for the organization to do just that. So that's the state of that. Uh, something certainly to keep an eye on as we head into this off season. Uh, but let's go ahead and preview this upcoming series with the Phillies. It is the last homestand at Wrigley Field. So you have this midweek series with the Phillies and a weekend series with the Reds, and that will be all she wrote for beautiful historic Wrigley Field in the year 2022. So if you can, uh, obviously I always recommend getting out to Wrigley Field, uh, but this will be your last opportunity uh, until the winter is over and we begin spring anew in 2023, hopefully with a, you know, relatively more loaded Cubs roster, right? That sounds good. So on Tuesday, of course, you're listening to this on Monday, hopefully having a nice off day. Tuesday, 6.40 Central at Wrigley Field. It'll be Marcus Stroman against Zach Wheeler, two righties. Zach Wheeler, 11-7 with a 2.98 ERA. Marcus Stroman, 4-7 with a 3.80 ERA. On Wednesday, also at 6.40 Central Time, Aaron Nola and Hayden Wesneski. 
Aaron Nola, a righty, 10 and 12, 3.28 ERA. Hayden Wisniewski, a righty, 2 and 1, a 2.45 ERA. We'll see what Hayden has in store for us in his next start. He threw an immaculate inning in his last one. What's next for the Cubs rookie? Uh, hopefully, he has something exciting in store. On Thursday, the finale with the Phillies. It'll be Suarez, a lefty for the Phillies, 10 and 5, with a 3.38 ERA. And Javier Assad, a righty for the Cubs, 1 and 2, with a 4.28 ERA. So what are we looking for? Uh, didn't talk about it too much uh, because he was just in there uh, as DH, but Nico Horner is back out there. I was never really as worried as Brendan was. I just sort of thought they were taking it easy, and that was fine. Uh, so I guess that's why I didn't highlight it. Brendan will probably yell at me for that uh, tomorrow. But he was one for five in the finale on Sunday. Uh, you know, obviously he's back out there. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. I still fell in the camp of like, I'm not sure I see the point of this, but hey, uh, if he feels comfortable and wants to continue playing and getting those last reps in, all the power to him. Uh, so in this series, though, you know, just hopefully he's able to finish the season on a high note, feel more comfortable with that tricep. Uh, hopefully it's healed and he's able to have a nice, you know, last handful of games here to finish off what has been a very successful season. For Nico Horner, want to continue seeing Marcus Stroman pitch the way that he has recently. And, you know, of course, all of these starters for the Cubs uh, help keep them, uh, you know, safely in at least third in terms of starter ERA in the second half here. Uh, I think that would be a nice mark for them to finish the season off. And of course, I mean, I think the number one thing we're all watching anytime he's pitching in any series, it's Hayden Wisniewski. You know, let's see, uh, it, you know, we're only going to have a couple more outings for him before we finish up the season here. They've been electric in what we have seen, and hopefully we get to see a little bit more here against the Phillies. Uh, but that is all we have for you. Brendan and I will be back, uh, hopefully speaking directly to one another uh, after this Philly series finishes up on Thursday. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the CHGO Cubs podcast. I do want to give a special shout out to our CHGO Bears crew and the whole CHGO sports team. They threw their first tailgate on Sunday before the Bears game against the Houston Texans at Soldier Field. Uh, I unfortunately was not able to be there but I saw all of the content, and I know just how hard everybody worked to pull that off. Uh, so if you are a Bears fan, if you're looking to get into football, or you just want to be a part of uh, a community of sports fans in Chicago, be sure to follow uh, CHGO Sports on Twitter and the CHGO Bears crew. They're doing excellent coverage throughout the week, and of course on Sundays or Thursdays or Mondays whenever the Bears are playing. Um, excellent work, excellent coverage, and uh, there are going to be more tailgates and events going forward. Uh, it looked like a blast, and uh, I'm, you know, Brendan and I are very proud and happy to be a part of the CHGO Sports family. So keep an eye on that, uh, and of course, check out the CHGO Bears crew. We thank you for listening, of course, to the CHGO Cubs podcast and supporting everything going on at CHGO. Cody and Luke will have your pre- and post-game needs on Tuesday for this Philly series. Ryan Herrera, our guy, should be out at beautiful historic Wrigley Field. And that is all I have for you. So appreciate you guys bearing with us uh, with a little bit of a, you know, we'll call it a technical difficulty here for Brendan and I, but uh, hopefully we pulled it off. You guys let us know. So thank you guys again for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And as always, go Cubs.